Amen, amen. Take your Bible this morning and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse number 22. Bible says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass, and the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Father, speak for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. I want you to look here as we have, as we've looked through this first chapter of 1 Peter, and we saw how Peter has laid out to these that are being greatly persecuted. Uh, The glory or the joy the magnificence, the wonder of their salvation they have. Salvation the angels desired to know, a salvation that the prophets desired to look into. A salvation that was so wonderful made them holy. A salvation that would always be at work and always walk them through. And so now he brings this chapter somewhat to a close and you say what do you mean somewhat to a close because the first part of chapter 2 is really a continuation of chapter 1 but he brings it somewhat to a close in this he begins in verse 22 of making a statement of fact he said seeing you have purified your souls I want you to look first at the purity in our salvation now you, you read this text and you ought to in the English, you ought to already be puzzled. Seeing you have purified your souls. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a puzzling statement. Because how many of you agree today that you can't purify your own soul? So why would he say, seeing you have purified your souls? Well, let me show you what this is saying, what it means. I want you to look at a few things with me under this purity uh, in your salvation. The first thing is it's a settled work. You have purified your souls. And the word have there is, is the idea of this. It's in a tense, it means this. Something that was accomplished in the past and the effects of that are ongoing even today. So when was our soul purified? When was our soul made clean? Well, I'll tell you, the day God saved you. Now you say, well, what do you mean the purifying of my soul? How is it a settled word? Well, the word soul, you know, I've taught you this many times, is the same word for heart. It's your mind, your emotion, and your will. And in your natural birth, your mind, your emotion, and your will were always self-centered. You did not have the indwelling 
of the life of God, the Holy Spirit, to control your mind, your motion, and your will. So therefore, in your lostness, you always did what you thought was for your good and for your advantage. Self-centered. Not that a person can't be religious and be lost, they can. But even their religion is to make themselves feel better. Because in their lostness, if they understand there's something wrong with me, how many of God gave every man a conscience? So if that conscience is always saying there's something missing, there's something wrong with me, then how many of you agree today that in our world today, if we're zealous in religion, we can temper that conscience that's gnawing at me and saying something's not right. But see, that's not the purifying of your soul. All that is is putting a Band-Aid on a problem. And the problem is still there. So he says here, there was something that took place in the past but the effects of that are still ongoing today, and it's the purifying of your soul. And it's a settled work, meaning this, that the day God saved you, He placed His life within you. When He placed His life within you, His life in your human spirit now began to control your soul, your mind, motion, and will, and now the Spirit of God, if He has control in your life, listen, all of a sudden you went from being man-centered to being God-centered. All of a sudden you went to be thinking from a mind concerning what's best for me instead of what's for the glory of God. All of a sudden you began to have your emotions to be controlled to the point that now you're not easily offended. You're not easily uh, uh, angered. You're not easily worried. Why? Because God has control of your emotions and your will now becomes about obeying God. That's what it means, the purifying of soul. The Bible uses this term, the saving of the soul. You say, well, why did my soul need saved? Because it was wretched, self-centered from Adam's birth. That's the way you and I were born. And so he makes a statement of fact here, and he says, listen, this is a settled work. You have purified your soul. Now, this was the... What Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied about and couldn't and longed for the day when Ezekiel would say that God, there's coming a day, he'll give you a new heart. There's the purifying of your soul. And he will write his laws upon your heart. There's the change in your desires. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel looked for that day in which our hearts would be bent towards God instead of bent towards self. And so... Peter's writing to these believers about this marvelous salvation, and he's saying it's a settled word. Jesus said this, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Something took place the day God saved you. And you now had a divine presence Controlling how you think, how you feel, how you react, and how you act your will. And so he's making a statement of fact. It's a settled word. But let me show you secondly, it's a surrendering word. 
Notice what he says here, seeing you have purified your souls. That statement in itself, if you don't put it in the right way, is confusing. But then listen, it gets even more confusing. You've you've purified your soul in obeying the truth. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. Did God save me by me obeying the truth or did God save me through faith? Yes. You say, preacher, I don't understand. Can't be both. Yes, it can. You said, how is that possible? Because obeying the truth is the outflow of true faith. True faith means that you are casting yourself in absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ, who is your Lord. You're taking the position of a servant. He's taking the position of Lord. And you are yielding to him by faith because you're hopeless and helpless and you know he's your only hope. So you're saved by grace through faith. But can I tell you, faith is always working if it's true faith. And so what he's saying here is this. He said, listen, there's a settled work that took place, but through that faith that allowed you to get in on what God was going to do for you, there's a surrendering work that takes place. The evidence of your faith is the obeying of truth. And that's how you know if God's done this settled work in you. Let me give you a a verse that will help you understand this. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Know you not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants you are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or where obedience unto righteousness. Now, I want you to take that first part of that verse. I want you to listen to me. Knowing whom you yield yourself servants to obey. His servants you are. That's who you obey. All right, so how many agree today that if I came by faith and repentance, surrendering myself unto the Lord Jesus, which is the outflow of the faith, how many agree today? I'm a servant of a master. Y'all agree with that? Say amen. All right, so now, here's the test. Who do you obey more? Yourself or him? See, who the preponderance of our life is in obedience, who we yield to the most, that's who we serve. So here's what he's saying. He's just making a statement of fact. He, he's, he's saying of these, of these believers, he said, listen, he said, you know that your soul's been purified and you know that because the evidence is you're obeying the truth. You're surrendered to the truth. You're surrendered to the reality of the truth. But notice thirdly, it's a settled work, it's a surrendering work, but it's a supernatural work through the Spirit. So as you read the first part of this verse, seeing you have purified, seeing you have obeyed the truth, I mean, we could already walk away and say, well, look what I've done. No, no, no. You've got to read the rest of it. Through the Spirit. Let me tell you something. You could have never by faith yielded yourself to him whereby he got a hold of your mind, motion, and will unless he did it. And you could never obey the truth unless the Spirit of God, number one, gave you desire, number two, gave you light, because how are you going to obey something you don't understand? 
Because the Bible says for the natural man, the lost man, the things of God are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. How can you obey something you don't know? So God gave you light, God gave you wisdom, God gave you his spirit, and God enabled you to be able to obey. So in other words, God did this work in you that now the evidence that this is a settled fact in your life is you're obeying truth because the spirit of God is at work in you. The Spirit of God did a work in you. So it's a supernatural work. So this statement of fact that he makes here speaks of the supernatural work of God's grace. The grace we just sung about. Because this is how all this became reality. Now I'm going to stop right here just for a second because I want you to just really take a moment and in the trueness of your heart, can you say that this was a settled work in me? With all the peace of your heart, can you right now as you sit there, can you say, oh, I praise God, this has been settled in me. Obedience of truth, yes. I, I mean, the, the, the God having control of my mind, motion, and will, yes. I mean, it's a settled work in me. Now, so that's the purity in our salvation. Notice, secondly, the product of our salvation. Because now he's going to state what this settled work produces. All right, so, so read this with me real close, okay? Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. So in other words... He said there's something that will be true if this is true. In other words, the purifying of our soul through the obeying of the truth, through the Holy Spirit, all by his work, it will always, every time, produce this. Unto unfeigned love for the brethren. Now you say, well, you know, everybody's going to love in their own way. No. Everybody loves how they love. No. Everybody loves when they want to love. No. Everybody loves who they want to love. No. Let me tell you what is not part of God's love clicks now if we're honest with each other we tend to love the people we like the most the truth aren't you glad God didn't love you that way because I promise you there's not one of us including me that God would have liked But I'm glad he loved all of us. You say, preacher, I don't like that side of God. Well, I got news for you. He hates sin. But he loves the sinner. Now, so let me walk you through. What is this unfeigned love? 
Well, I want you to look at a few things. The manifestation of his love. It's a love that comes towards or is manifested towards the brethren. It's a love that always goes out. Always manifests itself. How many of you agree today that the Bible says when God saved you, you received the love of God through the Holy Spirit? Romans chapter 5, verse 5. All right, so if you receive the love of God, then here's what it's saying. That love will always be reflected. Always be manifested. Now, here's what's unique about this verse. If you look at this verse real quick, you're going to see the word love mentioned two times. He said, unfeigned love to the brethren. And then he says, see that you love one another. Now, here's the, what's unique about this verse. It's two different words for love. The unfeigned love is phileo or brotherly love. The other word for love, love one another, is agape, unconditional love. And you say, well, preacher, which am I to do? Well, can I tell you, if you have agape, you'll love in kindness, and you'll also love unconditionally. In other words, you won't have a trouble with either of them. Now, we, most of the time, don't have the problem with the love and kindness, for the most part. I mean, unless somebody makes fun of you, or unless somebody does something against you, then we have trouble with that one, too. But the agape love. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to love somebody else who you think doesn't like you with the same love you love your best friend? You say, well, I'm not going to love them. I don't even want to be with them. Now, I'll say, well, I love them. But do you ever go up to them and talk to them? You see, there's a difference. They're showing kindness. That's brotherly love. But then there's unconditional love. So what he's saying here, the purifying of your soul, what God did in you and you participated with him by responding in faith, God produced something in you. And what he produced was this love. See, this is the manifestation of this love. Now let me show you the motivation of his love. He says unfeigned love. Now, what in the world does that mean? Love that's not hypocritical. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not speak against others. Read 1 Corinthians 13 if you want to know what this love looks like. This is the love that God produced in you. This is the love God placed within you. And so the motivation of this love is simply this, that you love unhypocritically. And then notice he uses another term. You love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, what does this word fervently mean? Here's the way one Bible scholar defined it, and I really liked it because I think it fits this verse so well. Here's the way he defined it. He defined it as going to the furthest lengths of your capacity. It simply means this, that you go all out. In other words, a love, agape love towards others is a love that goes all out. Now, here's the problem. What we tend to do is we tend to put how we're going to love others in relation to how we feel. So in other words, what we do is we go self, then others. 
No, it's others than self. God, others, self. That's the way it works. That's the way it, it's, that's what God produced in you. And so the motivation for this love is simply this. That I have the ability through the Spirit that He produced in me to love in spite of what somebody says, does, doesn't do. And you say, preacher, we don't have that ability. Yes, you do. How many of you agree God saved you and loved you and manifested his love towards you by sending Christ to Calvary and dying for you and taking the sins of you and me upon himself and he paid the price of that sin on the cross and God did it in spite of us. All that we've done against God. God loved you. How are we to love? Same way. Preacher, how do I do that? You can. But through the Spirit, He can. You say, well, preacher, I have trouble loving some folks. Can I give you something that will help you? Here's what I found in my own life. The ones I pray for the most, I have the easiest time loving. There was a guy at the church I pastored before I came here. And listen, I, the Bible don't say specifically what Paul Thorne in the flesh was. Would you all agree with that? Say amen. But some people believe that it was individuals in the church that were persecuting him. Well, I had a guy at the church I pastored before I came here. And I'll, I'll use this term. This is the term Wayne Barber used about someone that, in his church that was bothering him so much. He said, I started realizing God was using this person as my heavenly sandpaper. You say, what do you mean heavenly sandpaper? God put that person in my life to rub off of me what looked like me. Because they made me mad all the time. Y'all ever seen somebody like that? How many of y'all know somebody? Don't raise your hand, please. And this guy was that guy. And to this day, I can honestly say there's not an individual that I've ever prayed for more on a repetitive basis than that gentleman. And God get, get developed a love for me. Now, you have to understand, if he saw me in the hall, he'd duck in a Sunday school room. He wouldn't even acknowledge me. Are y'all hearing me say amen? I mean, I was in a restaurant one time eating, and there was huge glass windows that, at the restaurant that pointed out the parking lot. He pulled in the parking lot, saw a car that looked like mine, sent his son in. His son walked in with his hat down like this and his phone up here, walked to the bathroom. When he walked back out, his hat was turned this way and his phone was here. He walked back this way. They got in the car and left. He wanted to see if I was in there. You say, preacher, you can't love somebody like that. No, I can't. But God did. See, this is the love. This is the motivation of love. This is the love that God placed in you. All right, look at the third thing, the miracle of his love. All right, so how many of you agree today 
that if I can love others with the same love God loved me with, that's a miracle. You say, how's that a miracle? Because you and I were self-centered. You and I were about self. You and I lived on feelings. And so the miracle of it all is that God would do such a work in you and in me in the purifying of your soul that the miracle is God could override yourself if you yield to him and he could love someone that you would never, ever even think of loving. How many of you agree today? If there's any person Jesus had every right from a physical, natural sense to not love, it was Judas. How many of y'all agree with that? Say amen. But what did Jesus do? He had all his disciples up there, including Judas. Judas had already made the deal with the Pharisees. And Jesus laid aside his garments, took the form of the lowest servant, and washed his feet. The same way he washed Peter's. I guarantee you, it wasn't like this. Oh, Peter, I so love you. Let me wash your feet. Oh, I so love you. Hey, Judas, next. Wasn't like that. It wasn't checking a box, folks. Watch what it says. A pure heart fervently to go all the way. And you say, preacher, this is for the spiritual, the spirit. No, this is for the every child of God. Well, let me show you the means of this love. If it was through the spirit that he purified our souls, how many of you agree it's got to be through the Spirit that He loves us, through us? You see, here's what's unique about this. It's a constant power in your life that never stops functioning as a child of God. Let me tell you what agape love is in a child of God. It's a natural response to those around you. How many of you agree that in lostness, selfishness was a natural response? Well, can I tell you? The Bible says that we received the divine nature when God saved us. How many of you agree nature means what is fitting? Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. How many of you agree if you take a fish, how many of y'all ever fished and caught a fish, and when you brought it up on the shore, and it fell down on the shore, and before you could get the hook out, that fish is going like this. Why is that fish flipping out on you? Because he's been taken out of his natural element. And the Bible says you received a divine nature. In your lostness, loving someone unconditionally was foreign to you. But in your salvation, it's the nature God gave you. You say, well, preacher, I still have that old nature deal. You do? But here's the reality. As a true child of God, if I don't have the ability to love, for me, who I would think is unlovable, 
I ought to be like that fish flopping around on that shore. I ought to be so unsettled I can't take it. The message of his love. So what kind of message does this love that the Spirit of God produced in us when he purified our souls? What does it send? Well, it sends a twofold message. It sends a message to others, and it sends a message to you. How many of you agree today that the lost world today, unfortunately, just does not see the real biblical Christian very much? Would you all agree with that? Say amen. I don't think anybody in here would disagree with that. But can I tell you, when you start loving somebody that's mistreated you, or you start loving somebody that's harmed you. Now, these of, that Peter's writing to have been persecuted. And it would be easy for them to develop bitterness and hate. But yet Peter's writing to them and said, yeah, but look at this salvation you got. This salvation the prophets didn't understand. This salvation that angels have never experienced. This salvation that you've experienced. I mean, the one that is holy made you holy. The one that loves you saved you. The one that spoke the word into you and glorified himself and purified himself. This is the love he gave you. Well, what kind of message would that send to others? When others see something in us, a love in us, that is foreign to them. How many of you agree when the Lord Jesus walked on this earth for three and a half years in the gospel in his public ministry? How many agree it absolutely baffled the scribes and the Pharisees? They couldn't understand it. And you say, why couldn't they understand it? Well, Jesus told them in the Gospels, and I'm going to paraphrase for time's sake, but Jesus told them in the Gospels, oh, you're zealous to keep the law. But to help others? That's foreign to you. And yet here was Jesus manifesting love towards publicans, towards harlots. And the Pharisees were going, wham! This can't be the Messiah. How can he even spend time with someone like this? And yet Jesus loved them as much as anyone else. He sent a message. But not only does it send a message to others, it sends a message to you. You say, what message does it send to me? That God's purified your soul and you've been saved. You say, well, preacher, where you find that in the Bible? Boy, y'all ask some great questions. You know that? John 13, the words of the Lord Jesus. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, that you also love one another. You say, well, preacher, you skipped a phrase. I did, because we don't like that phrase. What's it say? That you love one another How? By this. By what? That you love one another in the same way he loved you. All men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many agree that's a clear message? All right, turn with me to 1 John real quick. 1 John chapter 3. Watch what it says. 
1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 13 through 16. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and him in us. How many agree that's salvation? How many agree today if he don't dwell in you, you're not saved? How, here we know that we dwell in him and him in us because he hath given us his spirit and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus Christ the Son of God, God dwell in him. Now look at verse 16. And we know and believe the love of God that God hath to us. God is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. You can't water that down, folks. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7. Beloved, let us one love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is what? Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that he is passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in what? You say, well, preacher, tell me that's phileo and not agape. Please tell me it's phileo and not agape. No, it's agape. Whosoever hateth his brother. You say, well, preacher, I don't hate anybody. Careful. Is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the what? Wow. Sends a message to others. Sends a message to ourselves. That by this you can know. That you are my disciples well I've got two more points but the Lord told me to stop because I can tell this is really stirring some people I want you to listen to me with all the love and heart I have in me If you go out and try to manufacture this in your own flesh, you're exercising a work of futility. You can't do it. How many agree there's people in your flesh you would just assume never have to speak to again? Let's just be transparent. In your flesh, how many agree there's people you, if you had your way, in your flesh, you just assume never have to speak to again? How many of you would agree with that? Say amen. You say, preacher, I still struggle. Take those people you struggle with. Ask God one question. Lord, what would you have me pray for? 
and then bombard heaven with what God says. Here's what you're going to find. God will put a burden in your heart for someone that in your flesh you wish you would have never seen again. Now, if you're not saved, then you'll never have love for them. But if you're saved, you already have the love to love them with. By this you'll know. By this you'll know. By this they'll know that you're his disciple. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Thank you for, Lord, this admonition, this truth, this statement of fact that you give us in this verse. And Father, I pray that you'd work this in us. Because Father, I can just sense from your Holy Spirit in this room, there are people that are really struggling of how to apply this in their lives with people in their lives right here, right now. Father, I don't know what everybody in this room's been through. I don't know what has happened to or against or everybody in this room but here's what I do know there is nothing anybody could have ever do to me that's worse than what I did to you and you love me unconditionally you saw me in all my sin and all my failures and all my wickedness and seeing me and seeing us and all the reality of who we really were, you still said to your son, Son, go take their place. Go take their place. Let's make a way that they can love the unlovable. So, Father, I have a feeling that during this invitation, there's some folks that just need to come and get on an old-fashioned altar and just confess, God, I'm just going to confess, I've not loved this individual, this person. I truly have not allowed you to love him through me or her through me or them through me. I, I just confess it right now before you, God, and I ask you to forgive me. And, Father, I ask you right now, would you stir within me by your Holy Spirit a love for them that I've just so struggled to have. Father, maybe there's those in here today that this is just foreign to them. Maybe you're speaking to their heart and the reason that they can't love others in an unconditional sense is because they don't have the love of God in their hearts because they've never been saved. But Father, whatever you're saying this morning, glorify yourself in how you do it and what you do. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said,